Hi everyone, welcome back for another podcast, another episode of EGEOs. My name is Rochelle Kernan and I have a very special guest today. Her name is Yogashree Padan and she is an engineer and she uh, is the founder and co-host of Petro Papers. Hi Yogashree, how are you doing today? Pretty good, thanks for having me on the podcast. Absolutely, I'm so excited to talk to you today. So thank you so much. All right, so to get started, um, I'm just curious about if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. So perhaps uh, something about you personally. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? And do you have anything influential while you were growing up that sort of impacted you or helped you make some career decisions along the way? Sure. I was born in India 29 years ago. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to date myself, but I guess other people can not only, they won't complain. (laughs) I moved to the United States when I was six months old, and I mostly grew up in Houston. I moved around a lot, but I mostly grew up in Houston. Throughout my childhood, I was really influenced by my parents who strongly encouraged me to pursue STEM careers, not because it's just a noble career or anything, but really they saw something in me as far as my math and science skills were really good. Mm -hmm. I had a natural inclination to solve math problems, ask questions like scientists doing the scientific method. And when they noticed the toys that I was playing with were primarily things that were related to engineering, they just kept buying more of those toys to enhance my my skills. Mm -hmm. Another pivot point that influenced me growing up was not just having my parents encourage me in pursuing math and science and participating in math and science competitions, but also going to a camp called Grade Camp. It was hosted by the University of Houston. Cool. UH had this camp dedicated to girls to pursue engineering careers. And I happened to meet engineers that were in that camp, we had a day-long session, and it was more a day of the life of an engineer, and there were people from the oil and gas industry that happened to be there. So I had petroleum engineering in the back of my mind, just hearing about how dynamic the industry is and how much you're providing energy for the world mm-hmm. fascinated me. And that's when I knew that I wanted to pursue petroleum engineering mm-hmm. at university. At first, it was chemical engineering, Mm -hmm. but then I realized that petroleum engineering is offered as a degree Mm -hmm. in University of Texas and Texas A&M, all the Texas schools. So it was a pretty easy choice for me uh, where where to go to because the schools were in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So I would say that my parents were strong drivers that influenced me and the activities that I participated in as, as a teenager and even younger than that, influenced me to pursue a career in STEM. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I think it's wonderful that your parents were able to send you to a a camp and, you know, they nurtured your natural ability and noticed 
how much you were, like, how good you were at math and things like that. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, you kind of alluded to it already, but could you tell us a little bit more about where you went to school or where you're currently going to school? Uh, what degrees do you have and which ones you're working on? And maybe a story or two about your career path to date. Absolutely. I did allude to choosing petroleum engineering and mentioning a couple schools. I chose petroleum engineering for University of Texas for my bachelor's degree because when I visited the campus, I was really drawn to the campus and I saw how huge the support network of women in energy was over mm -hmm. there. And I wanted to be a part of that community. Mm -hmm. The petroleum program there was is, is excellent and I was participated in SPE, served as an officer position there. There's a women in petroleum and geosystems engineering and I participated in that as well and led that organization for a little bit. So I really enjoyed my time at UT in terms of education and community involvement. Mm -hmm. When after getting my bachelor's degree, I worked for a couple years in industry and I wanted to pursue my graduate degree in petroleum engineering because I wanted to refine my technical skills and specifically focus in reservoir engineering. So Texas A&M has a working professionals program for petroleum engineers and that was an easy choice for me because I wanted to maintain my industry experience while also getting a higher education. So I pursued my master's degree in petroleum engineering at Texas A&M University. Mm -hmm. So those are the degrees that I have to date. And then I wanted to also get some exposure to enhance my business skills and enhance my career as well. So starting in March, I'm actually going to pursue my MBA at Chicago Booth or University mm -hmm. of Chicago Booth School of Business. I'm really looking forward to that. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that experience. As far as a couple stories of how I ended up where I am right now, mm -hmm. I graduated from UT in 2015. That's when oil took a nosedive. Mm -hmm. And I worked as a field engineer at Devon Energy in Midland. And I, it's an interesting story because I actually chose to work in Midland and everyone gives, gives Midland a lot of flack. But to be <laughs> honest with you, it's a great place to start your career and even pursue your career. And, and everything is 10 to 15 minutes away. So you can get a lot of things done in a, in a day. Mm -hmm. That's my plug for Midland for anybody who's going <laughs> to listen to this podcast and knows that they're probably going to be transferred to Midland and they probably hear other stories than what I'm, than what I'm going to mention. Mm -hmm. Then 2016, Devin closed their field office and I moved back to Houston, okay. pursuing another, pursuing work. So I was in transition and I immediately contacted my professors at university that I'm looking for work. They gave me a business card, which I had no idea how that, that, was going to turn out, but this fellow, his name is Jeff Spath, who was a 2014 SPE president, mm -hmm. he was looking for interns, or at least I thought he was looking for interns, and I emailed him, and my professor wrote me a recommendation letter to him, and he invited me for an interview. 
when I interviewed for this company called Texas Oil and Gas Institute, which is a technical consulting arm that supports university lands organization, I left the interview thanking him and I told him I'm looking forward to the next steps for the internship opportunity. He looked at, he gave me a weird look and he said, this is actually a full-time opportunity for production engineering. <laughs> <laughs> but the interview went really well and I ended up getting the, I ended up getting the job. Mm-hmm. Then when oil prices climbed a little bit in 2018 and uh, Texas Oil and Gas Institute was actually closing down, I wanted to work for an operator again and I thought about Midland because I had a good experience working in Midland and Mm -hmm. I knew what I was getting myself into. I found, I have another interesting story. I volunteer a lot with SPE Mm -hmm. and one of the EarthTech conferences, there was a talk, a petrophysics talk of all all (laughs) things that was sold out, but I took my chances and still showed up in the morning because they meant because the, the staff mentioned that even though it sold out, there's still extra seats that tend to be available. Mm-hmm. Turns out there was extra seats available. Mm-hmm. An extra seat was available next to a geology manager that eventually ended up being my boss at Endeavor. Oh, cool! <laughs> so we we just we talked, and I told him that I worked for University Lands or supported University Lands, and. And we kept in contact and when 2018 came around and I was wanting to search for other opportunities, he gave me a chance to, mm-hmm. to work at Endeavor. And now I've been working for Endeavor for about three and a half years as a reservoir engineer. And I've, I've learned quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, and it really demonstrates the value of networking and like just going to talks and conferences when you can and it works in your schedule and uh the value of talking to people and he wasn't even an engineer so that's that's amazing he so recognized yours the value that you bring to the organization and to our community i appreciate it yeah, yeah it was i really do enjoy talking about the benefits of networking and it's something that i like even if you have a job continue to network Mm-hmm. I mean, because it benefits the company as well. Yeah. So you definitely already mentioned it. You're in the petroleum engineering field. Uh, but what do you like most about your specific field? And anything that you uh, are currently working on or working in the past? I'm sure it's a little bit more applicable in the engineer field than geology field. But a lot of times, and especially lately, we're talking about uh, transferable skills and things that you are trained in that you could perhaps use outside of petroleum? Sure. The best part about my job is that there's something different I get to work on every single day. Mm-hmm. And I get to wear different hats. Some days, and I won't get into the weeds of it, I'm analyzing data, looking at some of the well performance. Mm-hmm. Next days, I'm supporting other departments, such as completions or geology, by looking at some of the pressure data that they have, that, they, that they've generated or that they've, that they've collected. Other days, I'm working on data analytics mm-hmm. and developing models in data analytics to help answer business questions. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I 
see these benefits of working on something every single day because I'm enhancing different skills every single day. That's mm -hmm. one deal. And to answer the second part of your question in terms of what I'm working on right now that can be transferable to other industries, I would primarily say, of course, it's the problem-solving component, doing the scientific method in asking a question, developing a hypothesis, collecting the data. It's not just applicable in petroleum engineering, but it's also applicable to other STEM fields. Mm -hmm. There's the problem-solving aspect of it. That's a transferable skill. But then the other one that is a little bit more tangible is the data analytics portion of it. Mm -hmm. I I mean, we're starting to code a little bit more in our organization. And I've had a coding background by taking a certification course in full stack web development and data science. Mm -hmm. And I study, I self-study data science on the, on the side too. So I would say those data science skill sets, data analytics, analyzing a lot of data, mining a lot of data because there's tons of industries out there that would love engineers that can ge that can generate a data analysis based on gathering so much data that people just do not have the time to 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 go through. Mm -hmm. There's a time allocation that I've read where engineers spend 85% just collecting and cleaning the data and then they actually spend 15% doing the analysis. Mm -hmm. So I strongly emphasize the data analytics and data science and I'm sure there's plenty, I mean I'm sure there's so many answers that that tie to that but it's it's one it's the truth that the data science and the data analytics is is definitely a a transferable skill. There's also if you have a simulation background too, like I have, I've done some simulation in the past and I get to use some of those superpowers in my job, mm -hmm. but if computational science is another transferable skill that if you have a heavy math background, for example, I strongly suggest that you can transfer that into other fields that focus on computational science. So mm -hmm. data analytics, data science, problem solving, and computational science, I would say, are some of those transferable skills. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that's something um, you see a lot, like, in advertisements and posters and things like that, like, on social media, but it's really good to hear from you specifically, like, you're already doing it at your job and how it actually transfers. So thank you for that. Um, the next question I have for you is, do you foresee any new trends or developments in your field uh, in the next year as we come out of this uh, post-COVID world, maybe in five years or in 10 years? Sure. The first thing I can think about is, of course, how we work. Mm -hmm. There's been a philosophy or a popular philosophy that you have to be there in person in order to keep a business going. And although I admit that that face-to-face -face conversation is really meaningful and you get a lot out of those face-to-face -face conversations, it's also possible to do some of your work remotely. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot more flexibility in working remotely. There's a lot more flexibility in 
working working from different places in order to in order to get the job done is what I see as a as a main change. And the other one is whether if you are a larger or a smaller company, there's definitely a focus on ESG. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know what ESG is, it's environmental, social, and governance. So ESG is is a is a focus whether if you are a larger company preparing for an energy transition and you're investing more on different types of energy, or if you are a smaller company and you're working on improving your improving reduction on on methane emissions and in other greenhouse gases for instance there there are certain metrics that people are, are are developing in order to in order to improve their their stance on their stance on ESG so I would say in this post-covid world it's not just covid that's impacted but it's also the conversation around energy that's been in that's been impacted whether if it's due to covid or whether if it's accelerated by COVID. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for that insight. That's really great. Another question I have for you, and I watch your your Petro papers and your podcasts and on your YouTube as well. What are some of your best tips or advice for personal development? If I, if that... I could talk all day about this kind of question, which is, I'm actually very glad that you brought it up because I, I do have a lot to say when it comes to tips on, on professional development. The first thing that I would suggest that everyone remembers, even though they know this, mm-hmm. is you are in charge of your own career. Mm-hmm. You can work for somebody all of your life, but know that you are the CEO of your own career. Yeah. So if you ever want to be a leader, know that you've been a leader the entire time in how you've led your your opportunities. So that's, that's one. Mm-hmm. Which also means that you have a responsibility for yourself to develop the skills that you, that are good for. I wouldn't say that are necessarily just good for you, like eating your vegetables, but <laughs> you know that it's it, it it's also self it's also pretty fulfilling. At least for me, it's been very very fulfilling it, mm-hmm. for for professional development. For professional development tips, how I started focusing a lot more on this on this topic was joining professional societies. I was introduced to Society of Petroleum Engineers when I was 17 years old, and I had my first internship in oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And I really found the benefits of networking and finding mentors and finding short courses and resources to improve my knowledge base in petroleum engineering by joining professional societies. Mm-hmm. The second one I would suggest for professional development is know what skills are not just required for the job, but you, but what you want to obtain in the future. You have to be very organized. You need to be organized on not just the skill sets to not just maintaining your skill sets, but also trying to figure out what other skill sets you want to, you want to get in the, in the future. There's professional societies and then 
making a list of skill sets you have versus skill sets you want to get. The next thing I would suggest is you have to put yourself out there, whether if it is networking casually or whether if it is networking through a professional society. And there are plenty of opportunities like that, such as signing up for a short course, whether if it's virtual or in person, attending conferences, attending all sorts of professional society events, having those outlets to to other people will expand your knowledge base as well on what else is out there as well as people are resources as well. You get a list of resources, you get a list of people on who you can contact in or if you if you have a question, mm-hmm. whether it's technical or whether if you need to get a hold of another uh, another person from 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 another company. I'll I'll stop from there as far as professional development tips, but I think the main ones I'm going to hit for this one is definitely getting involved with the professional society. The other one is being organized in what kind of skills you want to, you have versus what you want to obtain. And then the last one is going to different, going to various networking events, whether if it's casual or whether if it's through a professional society. That's awesome. I have one last question for you today. Now, you are the founder of Petro Papers podcast. Could you please tell our audience uh, why you started that podcast? So maybe what inspired you to do it? And then also, what is your all-time favorite Petro Paper? Wow. <laughs> I'm so, I'm, I'm really glad that you asked this question. I've actually been wanting to start a podcast for some time. Mm-hmm. I never knew what exactly the subject would be because there are plenty of oil and gas podcasts. But one thing that I I got the inspiration of, and this was actually from somebody that I, and that was actually somebody that I interviewed for Petro Papers. He mentioned, his name is Ashwin Venkatraman from Resermine. Mm-hmm. He mentioned to me that with the things that you do on your YouTube channel, I think people could get some benefit from Tech Bytes on on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it a little bit and was wondering, well, how do I make the connection on talking about Tech Bytes? Do I just interview people or how do I, how do, I do this? Mm-hmm. Then I realized that I read a lot of papers. I read one paper a week to the point where I have questions about papers and I realize I want to have a dialogue with the authors of these papers and where some of the data comes from, not challenging them per se, more just getting a better understanding of what, what, what they're trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, if I list my questions, I think it would be a good idea just to interview the authors over the paper. So one, people can read the paper, and two, they can get some oil and gas intellectual stimulation by some of the questions that I do ask. So that's how Petro Papers came out to be. Mm-hmm. Now, my all-time favorite Petro Paper, this is, this is actually a very, this is a hard question, so I need to... <laughs> It is very hard because there are different subjects and there's different, yeah, there are different subjects of, of Petro Papers and then there's, there's one that, well, I think the one that really comes into my mind, be, and, and this is mostly because I've been 
working on this more re- more recently, but I've been very interested in. I've been very interested. In, I don't remember the paper number, but there was a paper on on water hammers from ConocoPhillips. So Dave Kramer wrote this paper on water hammer analysis, mm-hmm. and it's a forty three page paper on on water hammer analysis and what you can get out of on what you can get out of that analysis so that's the that's the gist of the paper i won't go into details of it but i really enjoyed that paper because it brings together so much theory from what we have learned from the past 20 years in hydraulic fracturing and what and what you can do with the data into the future and there are multiple field examples I do look for case studies when it comes to papers. And because I primarily work in unconventionals, mm-hmm. I look at unconventional case studies as well. Yep. I Once I remember the paper, it was actually published in the 2020 uh, Hydraulic Fracturing Technology Conference. But once mm-hmm. I remember that paper, I'll be, more than, I'll be more than happy to share that with you. But I would say that is my favorite Petro paper that I can think of. Sure. And was it also your favorite because of, like, the groundbreaking results? Did it help, like, improve overall recovery or something like that? Or can you speak more to, like, um, the applied side of it, how it may have impacted your field? Sure. The application of it is that with this analysis, you can get a better understanding of your initial shut-in pressures, you can get a better understanding of some of the completion data that you collect. And with that completion data, you get a better understanding of your, I mean, I'm saying this in general terms, your completion quality, and you can also get a better understanding of of the quality of your frac and how influential your flowback can be Mm -hmm. whenever you are, when you're drawing down your, your wells, for instance. There's I, I'm not trying to make extrapolations. What I'm trying to say is with this specific data collection that you can have with the with the water hammer analysis, there's so many other implications that, that just that there's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that that paper brings in a lot of theory and a lot of application to unconventions. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Yogashree, and thank you so much for your time. I think what you're doing is brilliant, and if you ever decide to be a professor at some point, I would love to take your class. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really much. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do teach on the side sometimes, and then I do get emails from student chapters from all over the world in terms of teaching. So yeah, I, it's something that I like to do on the side, so I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, and I uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye.